0: This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, "The Gospel of Matthew," following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. Jesus, um, Lord, would you please come and, uh, Lord, be be with us in a a very uh, real, helpful way? Would you allow distractions to be at a minimum? If any, um, Lord, would we, as we just sang, would we see and would we hear, not just the superficial stuff, but would we consider these things at a, at a heart level and, and would you speak to us at a heart level and let us see things that we wouldn't otherwise see unless your spirit moves? and reveal these things to us. And that's what I'm asking you to do, Father, is to give us your spirit, Um, Lord, in this very practical way. Lord, help me uh, teach and preach clearly and communicate what it is that's affected me so deeply um, with these precious people. And Lord, would we all leave encouraged, um, challenged in some ways, um, changed uh, in, in every way. God, do these things for us, for our joy, and your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So you heard Heather read this. Um, John's at a a dark place. John the Baptist is at a dark place. Um, Have you ever been certain of of something, die hard set on something, and you tell other people about it, but then something changes, not necessarily with that thing, but an outside circumstance, and you begin to question what it was you were believing. And then you kind of got to go and like, yeah that's what I used to believe that's what I used to do it's how I used to act but things are different and you have to explain kind of how you arrived at where you arrived or it could be a belief it could be um, something that you were longing to accomplish and that you no longer like are all about it like you used to be. Um, but you know if you if you experienced uh, kind of the tossing back and forth and questioning things needing clarity in certain parts of your life where you used to see crystal clear, um, I think we all find ourselves uh, at points in our life, losing our optimism, uh, beginning to waver between the dream of the hope, but also the brutality of your reality. Kind of like it tossed back and forth between those lots of hope, but such despair in the current situation, often going back and forth. Uh, disappointment plaguing your perspective on what you thought you believed and what you used to hold to is true. Uh, now it's, it's just, you don't really, you're uncertain. And this appears to be where John the Baptist was. You know, it says that he's in prison and he's in prison. I believe it's Matthew four twelve. It talks about how he was arrested uh, because apparently he pushed it a little bit too far with the government and Herod had him arrested. Um, big story short, Um, He ends up getting his head cut off and served on a platter in the presence of Herod, okay? Um, He doesn't leave prison. Um, He stays there until his death. So look in verse uh, 2. We're going to begin reading here through this portion. Now, when John heard, John the Baptist heard in prison about all the miracles and the preaching and the teaching, the deeds of Jesus Christ, he sent word by his disciples so John sends his disciples. John had disciples because he was a teacher. Uh, rabbis, teachers had disciples. So he sends his disciples, and they said to Jesus in verse 3, Are you the one who is to come? And that's a way that that, that John has referred to the Messiah over and over. John 1, Matthew 3, uh, several other portions. That he, That's how he refers to the Messiah, the one who is to come. So he's asking, "Are Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Same word there is uh, where we get our word advent from. Should we long for another? Should we wait for another? Should we be expecting another? Are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Or should we continue to wait and long for him to be with us? Now, John the Baptist was a very unique character in biblical history. Um, He lived in the wilderness, right? He had a huge beard. Not bad. It's nice. I like that. Um, he ate locusts and honey. And he preached over and over and over again, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Death and destruction to all those who do not change to meet the Messiah. Like just bold, rough. And Anytime that he saw Jesus, he's the the guy who baptized Jesus. And anytime he saw Jesus, he would stop everything and he would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he would get back to what he was doing. And then he would catch Jesus out of the corner of his eye Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like he just, he could not get over Jesus being the Messiah that he was the forerunner for. He was the one that was introducing the kingdom. Of Jesus, the kingdom of God that Jesus was establishing. And so he was announcing it over and over and over again. He knew who Jesus was. He baptized him and he said that he wasn't worthy to carry the sandals of Jesus because of who he was. So he knew Jesus. He knew what he was capable of. He knew that he had authority, but he also knows that he's sitting now in prison. He's sitting in prison and his life is hanging by a thread. Perspective, right? John he he knows these things about Jesus, yet he's questioning. His current situation is leading him to press in further to Jesus to gain as much clarity in regards to who Jesus was so that he could be then more confident in, in where he is. <laughs> more confident in prison. If he is who he is, then my present makes sense. If he's not, I'm going to renounce and, 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 and get out. He's wanting to know if Jesus is truly the Messiah. We learn here that it's ridiculous to think that our circumstances and our life situations won't affect our faith. This gives us a, a look into the reality of when life really hits you in the stomach when it knocks you in the mouth, when it knocks you down, and you begin to question and wonder, this is a good place to look to and learn from. One, that you don't need to be condemned for doing it. I don't think it's wrong to question. I don't think it's bad to, to wrestle and to doubt and to dig and to investigate. And I think it's very unfortunate when a culture of religious institution creates fear in people for, for doubting. Uh, like, who are you to doubt God? like, and that's, that's a, really a, a lot of the culture that, that I was raised in. Um, you just had to have perfect faith all the time. Um, it was wrong to question. It was wrong to ever, ever question God. And also, I think it's unfortunate when people tap out before they truly dig and give the significant time um, and, and heart energy Emotion into really looking to discover Jesus for who he is and not just settling for the Jesus of pop culture or, or that, we're, that we hear from other people, but that we personally, intelligently seek and look and knock and ask the source. I think it's unfortunate when people just tap out before they dig in. And John here, he asked, and he asked the right way, as I'm going to um, put before you today. And he's essentially asking, are you the true Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting on? He's seeking clarity here on the mission of Jesus and the real Jesus. Is this, are you the Messiah? You see, Jesus' mission, it didn't include conquering Rome, the occupying force. Over Jerusalem. It didn't involve that that military revolutionary act in the earthly uh, scope of things. It didn't include um, restoring the temple tradition and religion. He didn't come to be a political force, he didn't come to be an earthly king. And that's what John was expecting. That's what a lot of people were waiting on. That's why so many found Jesus to be quite unexpected. And you may recall now how John preached with this fierce passion and and fiery judgment and power regarding the arrival of the Messiah. And here comes Jesus, and he's concerned and patient and kind and compassionate. He's he's looking to help the unimportant. He's looking to help the outcast and the helpless. And, And it results in Jesus's ministry being somewhat low key and chill compared to that of John, which was so aggressive as the forerunner of the Messiah. So it's easy to see that John himself was struggling with this and practically it was incredibly inconvenient that Jesus didn't come to do the earthly work of being a political king because that would have freed John. It would have changed everything for him, at least on earth. So he needs a conquering political earthly king. That's what he's needing, but that's not what he asked for. He's asking for clarity so that he can be more confident where he is in his situation. You know, John had been a big deal for a long time. He'd been a star. He'd been a very popular person. Multitudes came to him. Huge crowds came to hear him, and he had gotten to a, a place essentially of great popular power, but apparently he did push it a little bit too far. Herod has him arrested, thrown to prison. The crowds had now left John, except for some disciples, and now they're focusing on Jesus. And one of the things that made John struggle with Jesus, it's as if he says, No, now wait a minute, if you're the Messiah, if you're the one and I served you, why is my life such a wreck? Why am I where I am if you are the king of kings? If, if you are this great God, why are you letting such bad things happen to a good person like me? Someone who like, introduced you publicly and baptized you. How can I believe in you in the face of the tragedy of life, in the face of the tragedy in my life? And Jesus doesn't respond with, how dare you? after all that I have done for you. Do you not remember the dove coming down when I was baptized? Do you remember the voice that came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Do you remember the conversation about you not wanting to even carry my sandals because you weren't worthy enough? Have you not heard of of all that I've done through my miracles and my deeds and my preaching? Oh, ye of little faith. Who do you think you are? That's not the response that Jesus gives. You don't get a sense of frustration or apathy. He doesn't ignore John. He doesn't send a passive-aggressive answer, but he does answer. He does respond. And he answers with truth. And the significance of what Jesus unpacks here, we're going to be looking at over the next couple weeks, because it is huge. What, 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 how Jesus responds is unreal. He says in verse 4, And Jesus answered them, which again is radical grace. When you see that, when, when the Son of God responds to doubting and, and needing clarity, to see that he answers with truth, that's an encouragement, and that's grace. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John. Go and tell him what you've learned here, what you've seen, what you hear, what you see. Here it is. The blind receive their sight. The lame Walk, Lepers are cleansed or purified. The idea is made ceremonially clean. (laughs) It's beautiful. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Fortunate is the one who is not offended by me. So in reply... Jesus intentionally weaves together two Old Testament texts which found clear and visible fulfillment in Jesus and his, and his ministry up until this point. He responds with truth, truth that he knew John would recognize. It's from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Verse 35. When, uh, then, when the Messiah comes, then the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Very similar, huh? And then you have Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and then check this out and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus does not give John that portion. He does not send them that portion of Isaiah to tell John. That would have been awesome (laughs) had he done that for John. John notices what's not given to him by by the mouth of Jesus. He's waiting on the second part of this verse, but Jesus doesn't answer with hope for John's deliverance from prison. Jesus knows he's not going to be freed. With responding in this way from Isaiah 35 and 61, Jesus is reinforcing who he is. Hundreds of years ago, Isaiah said that this would be true of the Messiah, and I'm doing these very things. He actually added one, which is the raising of the dead. Power over death. Jesus adds that one in addition to what he gives with Isaiah. He's pushing John to see who he is and, and to believe in Jesus that he is who he says he is. And he doesn't want John to stumble over the claims of Jesus or him not freeing him from prison, but rather trusting him in prison, knowing that he is the Messiah. In God's beautiful providence, um, this week I was reading through my, my like Bible reading through a year type of deal. And I came across Mark chapter six. I want to share it with you because it gives us a little insight into what this offense means. Um, It's literally stumbling block. Blessed are those who don't stumble over me. Um, So this is Mark six. Um, Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. Now in Matthew, if you've been with us, maybe not for 38 weeks, but perhaps some of you have, um, you, you'll know that astonished is the response of the crowd. Like, um, I think it's at the end of chapter 9, it talks about, or chapter 7, it talks about how uh, the crowds were astonished at the teaching of Jesus because he taught with such authority, unlike their scribes. And so I believe this is parallel with, with where we were in Matthew a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Um, and so the crowds are astonished, saying, and then he, they're, trying to, they're, they're trying to figure out who Jesus is. So they're astonished and they're saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't these his sisters that are here with us? Like, how is that coming from him? Totally unexpected. And they took offense at him. And it unpacks what this offense was. It's unbelief. This offense is to not believe in Jesus. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Jesus is astonished. It says, And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So they observed Jesus and they were astounded. They questioned certain things about Jesus, but they simply could not believe. They they, they couldn't reconcile how how this incredible truth was coming from such an unexpected person. It didn't seem fitting for such a humble, blue-collar carpenter to be speaking just like the Messiah, one with authority, so much more superior than the scribes and the other Pharisees. They did not believe, rather they took offense at Jesus and they stumbled at him rather than to to give themselves to him and to believe him and to exercise faith in his claims. So that's the portion of scripture from Matthew eleven two 2 through 6, as far as just expositionally unpacking it, looking through it, okay? Now I've got three different observations um, that have affected me through my study that I want to point out. One and two are pretty quick. The third one we're going to expound on. One the blind, the lame, the leper, the deaf. The dead and the poor. That's us without Jesus. We, we typically try to place ourselves in stories. And when you read the Bible, it's, it's good to try to find yourself in the story. Like, where, where am I here? We're not the disciples of John. We're not, we're not John. We're, we're not Jesus. We're the lame Without grace, without Jesus, we're the dead, we're the poor, we're the needy, we're those who are left with no hope. That's us. But the second observation is the poor's answer, their solution, isn't wealth or riches, but having the good news of Jesus preached to them. Notice that every other one, they're they're changed, they're transformed. The lame, what do they do? They walk. The deaf, what do they do? Here. The blind, what? Yeah. And the poor get what? The good news. Well, shouldn't it say they get riches? Like, shouldn't it be like the, 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 the other way? Like, why not totally transform them? You see, I think Jesus gives us this as an analogy to our spiritual need, our spiritual debt. Our poverty, our spiritual poverty. You see, we are all poor because of the fall. We're all poor and we're needy before God. And no matter what we do in our own efforts or strength, we can do nothing to account for the debt that we owe because of our sin. All we have is debt. When we try to to prove otherwise, it just brings more debt, it seems. It's like we're just completely at a loss insurmountable debt. And yet Jesus, God in the flesh, the very son of God, Jesus comes and enters human history and takes on our responsibility of our debt and he pays what is owed by his own blood, by his own life, his perfect life and his substitutionary death. And he pays a ransom for what we uh, brought upon ourselves. He suffers and endures the wrath of God paying our debt for us and not only this 1 Peter 1 tells us that he gives us an inheritance where we are a fellow heir with the son of God that we have the same God the father the creator of all things it's beautiful it's radically encouraging and what's what's crazy is that it's true that Jesus came and he has totally made the way for us he, he takes what our sinful lives have brought upon us, earning us, earning ourselves the wrath of God because of our sins against God. And yet, He gives us what His perfect life has earned. The truths of the gospel include the fact that we're more needy than we ever imagined, yet, we're more loved and accepted and blessed eternally more than what we ever dreamed possible because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. My prayer is that we realize one, who we are, and two, who Jesus is as he changed our situation. You see, the cross and Jesus are scandalous or or shameful or outrageous or disgraceful to those who don't truly see Jesus for who he is and who he was. That's the word. To take offense is scandalizo, which is Greek for where we get our, that's where we get our word for scandalous. Scandal, to take an offense, to seem ridiculous, to seem absurd. Shameful. It's shameful, it's scandalous to those who don't truly see what Jesus was accomplishing, who don't truly see who Jesus really was and what he was doing. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who don't stumble on me, blessed are those who don't stumble eternally. Blessed are those who aren't shocked and, and, and push away from me forever, but rather draws near and learns more of who I am and what I've accomplished for them and the hope that I have to give. So we can hear this. We can hear the gospel preached over and over and over, and it can press us in towards Jesus, where we, we want to dig some more, where we, we want to learn some more. We want to press in. Or we can hear the gospel over and over and over, and, and it can just we just tend to push back from it. It's often in how we understand ourselves and our suffering and how we understand Jesus as God, as a good God, that determines whether we push in or whether we pull back. And this is my third observation here, is that in the midst of our sufferings, rather than looking within ourselves, we must first look to Jesus and understand the real Jesus. In the midst of our suffering, we don't need to look inside and say, where do I need to change? How can I white knuckle this? What do I need to let go of? How did I get in the situation? How do I get out of this situation? Who do I need to talk to? How do I need to change? I don't think that's lasting. I think it's very temporal. What we need is true, significant, deep, eternal transformation and change. And that comes from looking outside of who you are to Jesus, to the real Jesus. So I submit to you that if you're going to find out whether Jesus is the one, first of all, you have to make sure that you don't try to understand yourself first before you understand him. And I've met a lot of people in Nashville that, you know, since I've been here, a lot of people seeking Christianity, looking into Jesus, and they often ask, is Jesus real? Do I want to be a Christian? Is Christianity for me? And they go about it a little bit differently than the way that John does. John, he he handles himself here in regards to learning the real Jesus. He goes about it a little bit differently than most people do today because he has a huge problem. He's facing death. He's in prison. He's about to be killed. His life is hanging by a thread. And yet he goes to Jesus and he says nothing of his situation at all. He doesn't mention prison. He doesn't say if you're the one Then open the prison bars and free me. The question of John that he gives us here is, are you the one? Looking totally outside of himself and outside of his circumstance, are you the one? This is utterly different than the thief on the cross. I I, I Googled and part of my study was trying to look at when Jesus and his authority was questioned. And this one came up where, where Jesus had to prove himself. So I unpacked it a little bit, but, but the thief's questioning of Jesus and John's questioning of Jesus radically different. Now you remember perhaps that there were two thieves on each side of the cross of Jesus. There were three people crucified the evening that Jesus, the day that Jesus was crucified. And one we, we call the good thief, the one that repented and believed in Jesus, claims, and Jesus says, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Wow, it's crazy. It's awesome, right? Totally transformed on a cross. But then the other guy, that's not how he responds. The arrogant thief, he looks at Jesus and he says, If you're the one, get us out of here. And then we'll know. We'll know that you are the one, if you can change my current situation, prove that you're the one by solving my problem first. Now over the years, it seems that the majority of people who come to Jesus and approach this question of who Jesus is, they, they, they want to look into Christianity explore and investigate Christianity. And, and often they have a, a very uh, profoundly problem centered approach to Jesus. They want to know whether Jesus is going to give them the power to change their situation. Is Jesus going to give me the support to do what it is that I want to do with my life? You see, the reason why why John was right and why the thief was wrong is is the, the reason is that the thief says, I want to know what you're going to do about my life before I give my life to you, before I submit my life to you. I want to know that you're the Messiah by the way in which you support me and help me and change me right here, right now with my situation. Press a little further. In other words, the thief says, if you let me live the way I know I should live, then you're the one. John, just simply ask, are you the one? You see... The thief assumes that he already knows all about how his life should be lived, who he really is, and how the world ought to go best. He seems to know this before he knows whether Jesus is the author of life, whether he is the one, the one whom his heart was built for. How in the world can we assume or know who we are or what we need before we even know if we were created on purpose Or if we were an accident? How how can we know who we are and what we're built for before we even know whether we can communicate and know the creator of the universe? I don't think that John would ever say, I know I need to be out of prison. Therefore, if you're the one, you can free me, and you should free me. I don't think John says that. I I don't think that's even in his heart here. John says... If I'm on my own, of course I need to get out of prison. (laughs) I mean, that's the only way I'm going to be happy, if I'm on my own. And if you're not the one. If you're not the one, I'm out. But if you're the one, whatever you ask of me will be such a tiny thing, such a small thing compared to what you'll give me. Whatever sacrifice you ask of me will be nothing compared to the fulfillment that I will experience in having this close personal relationship with the Savior, the Messiah of all things. Whatever you decide is right for me will be exceptionally wise, utterly practical, and perfectly right if you're the one. If you're the one, my present situation makes sense and I will suffer well. I don't think that John is foolish enough to think that how in the world can I know what is right for me and wrong for me before I know whether this guy is the creator of the universe and Lord of my life. So the big idea here off this third observation is if Jesus is who he says he is, then you are someone utterly different than who you may think you are right now. But if he's not who he says he is, then he can't help you at all. Again, it's all about Jesus. It all goes back to Jesus. One of the reasons why a lot of people have been searching for Jesus and been asking about this and inquiring after Jesus and not receiving any answers, they're still stuck in their doubt for years and they're still in confusion for years is because if you think about it, the, the thief's question there on the cross, it's not a question, it's an order, it's a command. It's a threat. Look, when you come to Jesus with conditions, when you come and say, well, I would be interested in believing in you. I'd like to be a Christian, maybe. But I want to know first, will you free me? Will you you help me practically right here in this situation? Will you do this for me? In other words, I'm coming to you with conditions. If you do this, this, and this for me here in this situation, then... I will believe. Now, if some of you might remember, I believe it was Moses, Nate and I, Pastor Nate and I were talking earlier, um, where they wanted a sign, and Jesus responds Moses had the signs and he had the truth and he had all sorts of evidence, and yet the people still failed to believe. It's not more proof. Don't need to come in conditions. What you really mean when we come with conditions is I don't want to know if you want something different from me. I know what I want, and I want you to make my dreams come true. Then I'll believe. I'm not asking for information. I don't need to know, really. I'm just giving you an order. Yeah, I'll have a relationship with you. As long as you know that I know what needs to be done. And you do what it is that I think should happen. The reason why a lot of people say, you know, I've been searching for Jesus, but I don't don't seem to be getting many answers, perhaps is because we're not asking a question. Perhaps it's because we're not wanting answers. Perhaps we're making demands, and it's not information about Jesus or from Jesus that we're really interested in. We just want him to come and, and support us in our situation. Which he does bring a lot of encouragement and a lot of support and a lot of transforming power in our situations. But first and primarily, we must look to him for who he is rather than seeking deliverance from our prison. If you come with conditions, it's as if we really don't know who he is. We don't really care. We don't want to know, we're, we're rather closed. In John's question here, it shows us that you have to start out by saying, Are you the one? That's where it all starts. Because before I know that, I can't assume anything else. Are you the one? Then it begins there. Once I know that, it'll change my perspective on everything else. Everything else will be looked at through a different lens, with a different color, different clarity, if you're the one. That is where it all seems to hinge. If you come with conditions, you don't really want to know the answer to who he is. But rather, how can you make me happy right now? John shows us that you can't possibly understand yourself until you understand Jesus. And you won't be able to understand yourself until you understand Jesus. Therefore, we can't come with conditions, but we come with what it is that we're, 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 we're told to give, that we're commanded to give, that we're told to respond to the message of the gospel, and that is by simple faith. Simple faith, admitting what we don't know, asking him to inform us about who he is, starting there. Now, I know some of those, uh, some of those with us today are perhaps considering themselves an unbeliever, Someone who's seeking the truth and who's digging around Christianity and exploring these things you don't know whether you believe in Christ first, let me tell you please don't speculate do what John did actually go to Jesus go go see him, hear him, talk to Jesus, find him in the scriptures don't 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 just merely sit around or, or, or read angry blogs, but read the gospel, read the word of God where we're, where we're told clearly from the mouth of Jesus who he is. Don't listen just to, to, to what angry people or hurt people are talking about. If you wanna know who Jesus is, go to the source. It's, it's amazing how, how often we look in so many other places for the answer rather than in scripture where God has spoken himself. Rather than going to the Lord in prayer, where they're asking God to come help open my mind and open my eyes and let me see who he really is, we'll just go listen to what people think about him. And there's a time and place for those certain things, but if you're truly wanting to get at Jesus, go to Jesus. If you want to know about me and how I live my life, shadow me, let's go hang out, we'll walk around. I'll tell, tell, tell you all kind of stuff. I'll show you all sorts of things. But, but don't just go somewhere else and ask about me. You'll learn so much more if you just come to me and ask me about my life and and let me show you. That's what the word of God is. It's God saying, here's who I am and here's who you are. Please go to the scriptures, go to prayer. Jesus doesn't respond and say, go back to John and tell him to think a little bit, think a little bit more. Tell him he needs to get a little bit smarter. It's not what he says. He says, tell him what you see. Look at Jesus. Look at how he lives. See and hear him. Read a gospel. Get involved in the Bible study with others. Spend time looking at him, not just looking inside yourself, but looking at him. And don't come with conditions. Come with a hungry heart, eager to learn, eager to exercise faith. Now, I know that often our doubts and our sufferings will cause us to struggle. And question a lot because what we were thinking, merely through the lens of our own expa- expectations of how life should go, it's not happening. Our expectations are busted. And what we think God should do in our given situation, it doesn't seem to be working out that way. I believe it's okay to wrestle, I believe it's okay to doubt, I believe it's okay to struggle and question. I believe all that is part of truly believing and coming to faith in Jesus. We're not disqualified by doubting. We're not disqualified by questioning. Jesus says it just takes a mustard seed of faith. He doesn't expect perfect, full faith. He welcomes our searching. He welcomes our questioning. But there's a right way and a wrong way to question. There's what I've given today is the the questioning of the thief and the questioning of John. This passage here that we've looked at, it teaches us that even the greatest of all believers can experience doubt. Next week, we're gonna look at where Jesus calls John the greatest ever to be born other than himself. Right after he is questioned about, are you even the one? So clearly, we're not judged for digging or doubting. You know, when the brutality of our, our subjective passing fleeting, temporal reality begins to trump or take precedent, become louder than the hope that's firmly objective and given to us in the forever standing truth of Scripture. When, when our suffering begins to cloud our thinking and gets so loud in our ears, my prayer is that we submit our, our plans and our expectations to Jesus and that we trust Him with our circumstances rather than just looking at the, the terror of, of the reality of the moment of our suffering. That's so fleeting, it's so passing, it's so unstable. But that in those moments, we'll look clearly to Jesus. The suffering, the pain, the loss in our lives can scream so loud in our ears that we lose the sound of God in our heart. And we lose focus. The presence of pain, it often leads to the questioning of the presence of God. Where is God in this? How can, how can God allow this Happen to me. Deep questions. And I would like to encourage you with one truth, and then I'll be finished. For those people who've experienced that type of getting just kicked in the mouth, where the where your very life feels like your the, the the breath is just taken from you. And you find yourself in deep pain, sorrow, suffering, torment questioning, doubting. I don't think everybody in this room has experienced this necessarily. Could be. But the depths of this agony, I know some of you have personally. My prayers that you'll be encouraged by this. If God could use the crushing of his son, the death of his son, to bring about the greatest good of all time, then certainly he can use what it is that you're facing and that you're dealing with to bring about a greater good in your life and around your life. If he could use the death of God for the greatest good, then he can use what it is that you're experiencing for good. When life hits you in the stomach, having that type of perspective comforts you as you long for the Savior to return and redeem us from all suffering. Though you may be in prison waiting for the Redeemer, hoping in Him that there's purpose in this and that He hasn't forgotten me. That's a comfort to those who've been kicked in the mouth. May we hear these things. May we believe the real Jesus and be encouraged by these truths. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for giving us this story, Lord, this dialogue, this interaction. Um, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for not um, pushing John or his, his disciples away. Um, but Lord, thank you for responding very graciously just with truth about who you are. Lord, when, when, when all of us in this room uh, Lord, when we experience suffering and despair, Lord, would we do the same thing and just come to you and just have you remind us of who you are and allow that truth to comfort us and allow that truth, Lord, to make sense of our prison, make sense of our darkness, make sense of our despair. Knowing that it's not that you don't love us. Lord, may we find comfort and truth in these things. as We look to the cross and know for a fact that you love us regardless of what this fleeting situation may tell us, regardless of how this situation may make us feel, would we stand on the objective word of God, the truth of the gospel, that we know that you love us because of what you endured for us, which came at such a high cost. Or may we believe that you're good. And that you love us regardless of what we experience in this life. Comfort your church with these things. And allow us to press in a little bit more to who you are. Digging a little bit more. And we long to be with you free from suffering. Free from pain. Free from prison. Set free eternally. Because of your finished work in your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for these things, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.